Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And welcome back for another episode of Wade for Wireless with all your wireless updates, news, and information. Just sit back and relax. Hey, this is Wade with Wade for Wireless, and today, Smart City Broadband Initiatives Part 2. It's the second part of my three-part series about how to get broadband to the city and what the cities can do to actually make it happen. So here we go. Uh, Last week, if you remember, I talked about being a facilitator and the city owning it and the city trying to help things along and partnering with private partners. And today, I want to roll into more of the facilitator process where um, I talked about it last week. And just as a refresher, you know, East Lansing had SpartanNet partner with them and they, they were actually doing great things. They used a lead program. They set out an outline. College Station had their thing in North Carolina. This week, I just did that as a refresher. This week, I want to talk about who buys a broadband because you can't just deploy it and expect everybody to have free access to it. It's just not going to happen that way. So what you have to do is look at who's going to use it, who the customers are, and what you're really putting it in for. A lot of these cities have smart city initiatives for the underserved, where they want to get Wi-Fi and they want to get broadband to the underserved. The reality of it is you have to build a business case. So before you put it to the underserved, you have to get it to the people who will actually pay for it. It's just a reality of business. You're not going to start a business selling widgets where nobody wants widgets. You're going to look for a customer base. Not everyone wants to pay for broadband. It's just the way it is. If the community wants it and they want it bad enough, they will support bringing it in. That's the key thing to remember here. They're going to support bringing in broadband, and that's what you want. You certainly don't want to get this going and have the locals say they're not going to do it. They're not going to sign up. They, they, they don't want to work with the city. So it's something you got to think about. It takes a community. One person can get things started. If you're hell-bent on getting it in there and you have no support, it's probably not going to happen. However, if you do have support and they see ways that they're going to save money and run it throughout the city and the partners are going to work with you, all of a sudden it's going to happen. You got to remember that. Pricing matters. Once you get, once you have a plan, you're going to have to explain to people what they have to pay. Now, remember, gigabit to get a gigabit access, internet access connection, it used to be seven thousand dollars a month. Now we're looking for roughly seventy dollars a month. That's a huge, huge cut in price. If you're building a business case, that looks a lot different. If you could truly get a thousand people to pay seven thousand dollars a month. Life is good. Well, now a thousand people to pay seventy dollars a month. It's a different business case when you're rolling out a lot of money. However, still a business case. You're still paying customers, and if you have enough customers, again, life is good. And you have to look at it as what people are going to need in a few years as well. You know, the reality is everybody's going to need internet access if they want to continue to work, do homework, support their kids, and they'll probably watch TV through an internet connection rather than the way they're doing it now, which is through a cable connection. Although all the millennials, they watch it on their devices, so they probably are actually doing it on their devices now versus the way someone, say, my age in their 50s would do it now. I still rely on TV, but I, I watch a lot of stuff on Amazon Prime and a lot of stuff on uh, 
on uh, YouTube. So it's just the way it is. So we got to look at the paradigm of what people are going to want. Are they going to want internet access? Yes. Are they going to want TV shows on demand? Yes. How are they going to get everything they want? Again, they'll need a big pipe. That's the reality of it. Smartphones are in our lives every day as well. That was the introduction. That was the introduction of what we could see anytime, anywhere, on any device, actually. So ask yourself, is this what people want? Is it what people are going to do? Does their laptop need more than Wi-Fi? Does it need more than just a standard internet connection? Speaking of Wi-Fi, what about Wi-Fi? We all love Wi-Fi. It's value add, right? You know what? The cities themselves tried to roll it out. Seattle and Philadelphia are good examples. Um, Philadelphia had its rollout when it partnered with, um, when Philadelphia partnered with BlazeNet, that didn't go so well. As a matter of fact, when BlazeNet went under, Philadelphia wanted nothing to do with the network. It worked out for them in reality because Comcast built a Wi-Fi network and they did a great job. Comcast built it all over the city. If you're a Comcast subscriber, life's good. They also offer some free internet access. It really worked out well. Seattle also had a Wi-Fi rollout that failed, but you know what? Again, somebody else picked up the slack. You know, I'm a fan of Wi-Fi, but I still look at Wi-Fi as a service that most people perceive as it should be free. We don't look at it as a pipe. Now, when I talk to people about this, and I was just on LinkedIn having a conversation with somebody, and he said, well, you know how much Wi-Fi costs, and I pay for internet access, and I pay for this, but you have to separate the two. Your internet access is a fee. At home, your Wi-Fi access is an extension of that internet access. The cable company, even though they may give you a wireless router, you can buy your own. However, if you want internet access, you're going to pay for it. So let's see, a wireless internet router with Wi-Fi, was that 30 bucks, 50 bucks on the high end? Let's say 100 bucks if you're crazy. But the reality is that's not how it is. You have to to have internet access before you can have Wi-Fi. Comcast gets it. That's why they rolled it out everywhere. It's a gesture of goodwill for the cities that they're in. And it works really well for the most part. If you're a subscriber, it works even better. But it is a limited service. And let's face it, if you want to really get the best speeds, you're going to hardwire in. Although Wi-Fi's come a long way, but people still perceive Wi-Fi as a free service. I hate to say it, even though you're paying for internet at home, you're not paying for the Wi-Fi, you're paying for the access. That's where the money is. I see CBRS as being a little bit of a change like that. CBRS, Citizens Broadband Radio Service here in the States, because you're going to suddenly have a lightly licensed product where you can actually put it in a device and people can use it. I hope. <laughs> it's 2017. We're hoping the devices come out in 2018, but who knows? Wi-Fi, deployed by some cities, has been a great success. San Francisco and San Jose, California did a great job. They rolled it out. I have the links in my blog, Wade for Wireless, so go ahead and check it out. Really, they did a good job. Boston rolled out the Wicked Free Wi-Fi, which is pretty awesome. And that really is a success. They've done a great job. You know why? They already had a backbone. They just connected the Wi-Fi to their existing backbone. So it was really a great way for them to, I would say, to roll out Wi-Fi to the citizens without spending a lot of extra money. Chances are they rolled it out on utilities, or I'm sorry, on assets that they already had. It worked out well. Blacksburg, Virginia, they have an amazing Wi-Fi system. They rolled out with crowdfunding. The crowdfunding was done by TechPad. 
So they raised 90 grand to make this happen. Let's not forget New York City that rolled out Wi-Fi in those kiosks. The kiosks are where the old telephone booths used to be. In the Link NYC project, Wi-Fi hotspots everywhere. London did the same thing in the Link UK project. Wi-Fi hotspots everywhere. They had connection. They connected it up. They did something good for tourists, for people, and the locals, the residents, as well as the tourists. They all like this. So here you have communities where it is a success. Now, with that said, not all broadband deployments in cities are a success. Seattle, they tried the gigabit rollout, and it just didn't work. They partnered with Gigabit Squared. It, something fell apart. I don't exactly know what. Maybe Gigabit Squared wasn't ready to roll out Wi-Fi. Maybe they weren't big enough. Maybe they had wrong partners. Maybe the financing fell through. You know, who knows? I guess my point is it didn't work. And, you know, Seattle's a big city. It's a, you know, it's, a, it's an NFL city. I consider an NFL city a pretty big city with a huge budget. And they partnered with somebody that they thought could get it rolling. Didn't work. In Utah, there was Utopia. And that didn't quite work. In fact, it failed. And McCreary Financing took them over and they're still trying to get it work. They're still trying to get it out. But for some reason, the locals are fighting this. Now, here's where you don't have the residents buying in. When you don't have local support, it's really hard to roll something out. Let me explain why they don't have local support is because they wanted to put in a utility fee of 18 to $20 per household to continue. And, you know, a lot of people see that as a tax. Well, utility fee for everybody, whether you're, whether you're using it or not, is not a good thing. In fact, there's a group that opposed it called Unopia. So you have Utopia in favor of it and Unopia against it. Poor Utah. <laughs> Utopia, Unopia. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I like the names. But anyway, is there an alternative? Yeah, they're going to have to do it the traditional way where people just that use it pay for it. They have to find a way to get it to the people. That's their problem. They were trying to come up with a way where the city would do it. And the 18 to $20 per household utility fee, uh, people pushed back. People, people didn't like paying for something. Now, let me tell you something. If it was 18 to 20 bucks a month per household and that included the uh, broadband service, I'm in. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Or if you're going to pay that much and you see big business coming to your uh, city, like like I said you know, earlier with, um, with, with Volkswagen and Amazon, my last week's episode, actually moving into those cities, I would see a big payback for that because suddenly it's worth it. Another thing you have with failures is when the incumbents fight back. Yeah, the incumbents will fight back. If you're going to roll something out and the incumbents, you really got to look at what they're going to do. Are they going to compete with you, which maybe they will? Are they going to do nothing, which many of them do? Or are they going to come back with a vengeance? So I have Monticello, Minnesota, city-owned Fibernet. The city did it to spark competition, and by God, did it work because all of a sudden the local telco, TDS, which uh, first took Fibernet to court and lost because uh, they wanted they saw them as competition. Then they decided to build their own network, which they could have done in the first place, but maybe none of this would have happened. I don't know. But TDS had to get off its butt and move. Then Charter, another incumbent, slashed their prices to $60 a month for access. Charter's the local cable company. And you know what? It worked. All of a sudden, you got tons of competition. So the city, in their effort to spark competition, did so, but they wound up spending a little bit of money. And although it looked like a failure, hey, they got competition going. They got everybody fighting to get broadband out. I would say, indirectly, it was a success. I think it was a success, actually. So kudos to you, Monticello, Minnesota. 
Then there was Lafayette, Louisiana, who built a network through LUS Fiber, Lafayette Utility Service, only to be criticized by Reasons.org or Reason, R-E-A-S-O-N.org in a statement, which you can Google that, Reason.org. You can just look it up and then uh, look for Municipal Broadband Lafayette. It's showing they had all sorts of predictions for how they would overcome the debt. Now, it depends what you read. It, it might be cash positive. It might not be. Depends how you read it. But it wasn't a booming success. But, you know, they took a chance. They did it. I give them a lot of credit. Now, let's be honest here. Cable companies really didn't care about internet access in the beginning. Even when the customers were begging for it, I was one of those customers. They didn't care until they had competition. AT&T, Verizon, two other big boys, gave them competition and forced them into doing something. Whether you like it or not, the cable companies needed the competition for a couple of reasons. One, they wanted to guide the market. They didn't want the market to guide them. And quite honestly, when you're a monopoly, you can do that. You can push your market around. However, suddenly, now that you have two big boys, AT&T and Verizon, that are showing you that internet access is very important to people, all of a sudden you're singing a different... And that's when things really begin to change because now they have to work against the competition. They have to either lower prices, offer better internet access. And I'll tell you what, Comcast answered back. They did a couple things. One, their customer service got a lot better because now people have a choice. That made a difference. If your customer service sucks, people are like, screw you. And they, they just leave out of principle. Ask Comcast. Look on forums how many people just hate Comcast over the years. I hate to say it, they got a bad rap. Now they're turning it around. They have better customer service. They made a difference. The other thing they did, they provided better internet access. They realized they couldn't keep those crappy lines out there. And it was an investment. They spent a ton of money. So did Charter. So did Cox. They spent a ton of money to actually improve their backbone and improve internet to the houses. The other thing they did, they started getting a little more flexible with their TV programs, which they had no choice to do but to do because people were complaining about that. I give DirecTV more of the credit for that than them. But finally, they looked at Google Fiber, and they saw Google Fiber as a threat. It scared them because the cities loved Google Fiber, which now doesn't matter. Google Fiber has pretty much stopped rolling out. But at the time, it was a threat. They were coming into every city. And the cities liked them. The residents liked them. Everyone loves Google. Everyone uses Google. It's really hard to fight Google. Google's the big business now, the big monolith out there. When you think of anything on the internet, you think I'll Google that. It's just the way it is, and it's how I think. And Google does a lot to maintain that image, that they are the search engine. They have the devices for wireless. They have the operating system with Chrome. I'm sorry, the internet search system with Chrome. They're doing everything they can to become part of your lives. You know, they have Google Docs. Google has a lot of things to offer you, and they do a lot for free, which is just amazing. The other thing you got to look at, I know I'm going through a lot of steps here, but some states actually prohibit public networks. That's right. Some states don't want cities involved in something that should be a competitive business. Some states don't think that cities should spark the innovation they do, and many states are putting rules out to stifle this competition. Now, it's interesting because the states are in a hot seat lately because with the small cell rollout, the states are trying to do the opposite. And well, I wouldn't say the opposite. The states are trying to force the cities to allow small cells to be rolled out. And they're trying to put a lot of stipulations on the cities and force the cities to do something they don't want to do for no money or very little money. I shouldn't say no money, but very little money. Well, before that, the states actually had laws in place 
to prohibit public networks. Colorado is a great example of uh, control. That state allows marijuana sales, but would not allow cities to partner with Google Fiber to roll out broadband. It took an election, an election of everybody to overturn the law. That's right. They had to have a state election saying, screw you, state. If we want Google Fiber, we should be allowed to have Google Fiber, and the cities should be allowed to partner with Google Fiber. It's not that the state was against Google Fiber rolling in. They were against cities partnering with Google Fiber or putting in their own backhaul, something like that. It's a little more complicated than I make it here. But things don't always work out like that. Like in uh, North Carolina and Tennessee, the SEC tried to have those state broadband uh, regulations overturned and they couldn't do it. They lost. The laws remain. But I don't know. I think those laws are a little different. I, I don't fully understand all the laws. But the states with laws around broadband specifically and limiting the cities, I'm just going to name them here. It's quite a few. It's Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Florida, Louisiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, Washington, and Wisconsin. The laws are geared towards cities who want to own or partially own their own broadband networks. That's important to remember. The cities, the states aren't against broadband. They're against the cities or the municipalities owning or partially owning the networks. That's what they don't want. So the parallels is what many states are doing with small cells. The states want to make sure that things roll out quickly and smoothly. Now, the reason small cells became such a big deal, because if you've ever done a wireless build-out or a fiber build-out, you know that the permitting, the zoning, and every state and every municipality, every town, and every city in the state is different. It's a nightmare. So the CTI has done a great job of lobbying the states to get the laws passed. I mean, they've really passed a lot. Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing depends on which end you're in. If you're in a city and suddenly you have to change your permitting and you're only going to get a couple bucks a year for it, it really sucks. If you're on the wireless carrier side and suddenly you only have to pay 50 bucks a year to put a small cell in and the permitting has to go through within two weeks, life's great. Depends which side you're on. Depends how you're looking at it. With me, I, well, I do care because I, I get where the cities are coming from because if you live there, you want some rules around what, what what is going to be placed right outside your home. Listen, if I live in the city and I had to listen to fans all night, I'd, I'd be a little upset. I guess you get used to it, right? But also, if I, if I was driving around the city and every small cell installation was an eyesore, was just ugly, I'd be upset. Now, if the carriers go out of the way to stealth them, make them look pretty, paint them pretty colors, make them blend... That's a great thing. And you have coverage everywhere. And let's face it, in today's world, you need coverage. All right, that's part two. I hope you enjoyed it. I want you to be smart. I want you to be safe. I want you to pay attention and keep on learning. See ya.
don't forget, you have the wireless deployment handbook out there. That's right, at wadeforwireless.com. You have the wireless deployment handbook that is on sale now, and now it's available in paperback on Amazon. Can you believe it? Wireless deployment handbook, available on Amazon in Kindle version and paperback, and also available in PDF. Go ahead, check it out, wadeforwireless.com. Hey folks, it's available, the 5G deployment plan. That's right, the 5G deployment plan handbook. I have the ebook out there for you in Amazon paperback, a full color eight and a half by 11 inch version, the Amazon Kindle version, the full PDF on CellFi and the full PDF on Gumroad. It's all about the 5G deployment. Go to wade4wireless.com and look for 5G deployment plan. It's in there just for you. I'd like to take a moment to thank my sponsors, Tower Safety and Instruction, found at towersafety.com. I'd like to thank them for all the good work they do in training. They're an accredited school out in Phoenix, Arizona, but they serve people nationwide for all your tower training, safety, and drone training needs. I'd like to thank Tower Tracker Pro for sponsoring this program. That's right, towertrackerpro.com. What they do, they have a software as a service that will walk you through your closeout package when you're at the tower so your tower crew can visit the tower once and get it right the first time. And they can have it verified, modified, and audit it before they even leave the tower by uploading the entire package and having someone back at the office look at all the pictures, go through it step by step, and make sure that all the metadata is in there. For instance, like the GPS, the time, date, stamps, and all that. Make sure you have all that information in there. It walks you through step by step. And you can also see if the pictures are picture perfect, making sure that you can see the serial numbers, the information for each sector alpha omega and beta alpha beta beta ah you know what i mean but anyway each sector is perfect so you want to make sure you have that for tower tracker pro tower tracker pro.com